Welcome to the Thinklings Podcast, a conversation where good thoughts help renew the mind with the Word of God. I'm Charlie Carter, and I'm here with Tim Little and Andy Stearns. Let's jump into the conversation. Welcome to the Thinklings Podcast, episode number 98, almost to a hundo. Seriously, we're getting really close. Like two away. Hope nothing bad happens between now and then. Why Why would you say that? That's a good point. Well, I meant like our mics break or something. No, they won't. Yeah. We can handle uh, that. So a couple of preliminary items here. We are having a contest, a books and business contest, where you, the listener, submit to us a books and business entry. And the way you do that is, one, you read a book, and two, you write a review and give it a rating on our Thinklings Goodness Scale. I was reminded last week by a listener, Daniel Wirtz, because he sent one in and he referred to a book as a Gimli, as a Gimli. Do you guys know what reference he's making there? I mean, obviously uh, it's too short, a but powerful. Well, or on our website, on our, on our website, we have a goodness scale description where we describe the numbers hmm. and on number five, it's like, it says, you know, in the fellowship, not everyone can be a Gandalf for an Aragorn. So like a five's like a Gimli. That's awesome. And uh, so he referred to the book as a Gimli. And I was like, that is fantastic. I want to like kind of create, fellowship has nine people. And I kind of want to like assign the people of the fellowship to a number. That's, that's So you can just refer to a book as like, that's a Gandalf. Ooh. You know, but you know, how do you... It's like picking your favorite kids. I don't know. It's, it's true. I know that is the hard thing because someone would have to be below five. Yeah. But you could use, you have a, well, well. If you're below five feet, then you're below five. <laughs> well, I was going to say like but, you got Sauron. Sam, Sam would be the Sauron, ten, nine or ten to me. No. You got worm tongue. We could, we could fill the bottom. We'll have to race. come back to this. But anyway, <laughs> submit a books and business to our email, thinklingspodcast at gmail.com. Just give us a title, your rating on our scale, maybe a couple of sentences, what you thought of the book. And you're in to win some great prizes in October. Here's what we're giving away. We're giving away uh, three Lord of the Rings box sets. And those are illustrated, right? Like really cool illustrated box sets. They're just the paperback ones. They cost like 40 bucks each. Okay. Uh, two copies of The Hobbit. Uh, one Lord of the Rings. Or no, Lord of the Rings in one volume. Two of those we're giving away. I think I have two of those. There's like a paperback and then a nice one. And then we have... Uh, letters from Father Christmas, which is a Tolkien thing. If you haven't mm -hmm. heard us talk about it before, uh, maybe stop in and look at it in the bookstore or look it up, Google it. We have six of those we're giving away. Uh, and there's other Tolkien things and we have no audiobooks to give away. Tim put that on the list of, we're not giving away any audiobooks because we can't give them away. Right. Is that the paper point? only here? Paper only. <laughs> Amen. So, and, uh, I want to shout out to Sawyer who donated a prize, which is a poster of Martin Luther's 95 theses that he nailed on the door, which is a great prize to give away in October because it happened on Halloween, October 31st. Excellent. And uh, the reason he donated it is because he realized that it's a little harder to get uh, accurate facsimiles of the 95 theses because we're not actually really sure what they were. We don't really have accurate uh, copies of them. And, uh, so you can go Google that, but he ordered something that he thought he wanted, realized he didn't really want that one. So he donated the one that he didn't really want to us. And we're going to give it away to you in our contest. That's like a hand-me-down, I guess. 
It is. Yeah. It's a it's a Martin Luther hand-me-down poster. <laughs> I haven't looked at it, but I still think it'll be pretty cool. So if you're into that sort of thing. Uh, let's see. Now, uh, Tim, why don't you give us an update on Song of Songs for singles? Um, yeah. So last week I worked on chapter six and reworked the gospel section. I think it's a lot better. And I'm going to hopefully finish that chapter today. Uh, just editing and reworking through the whole book. So my wife and I are going to really try to pound some stuff out here in September, October. I might do some weekly updates even with you guys to help hold me accountable. Oh, we will. We're very good at being diligent and oh, yes. writing things right. on time. Quick, move <laughs> on, move on. Yeah, move on. So one last thing. Have either of you read Anne of Green Gables? I have tried, and it makes Tolkien sound brief. Wow. It's a lot of words, a lot of descriptions, and a lot of drama. Tim? I have not. I'm, I may because a lot of the books that I read with my children are boys, and I have a daughter. Ooh. And she would, she doesn't appreciate, you know, where, mm-hmm. you know, some of yep. the yep. That stuff. So I was having a conversation with some of our female listeners mm. yesterday at our college activity at my church, and one of them said, that her brother read Anne of Green Gables, and his comment was, reading Anne of Green Gables helped him understand women better. So, to all of our huh. male listeners, if you're wanting to uh, understand girls better, maybe read Anne of Green Gables. <laughs> I was going to wow. ask you guys what you thought about that, but since none of us have read it, we can't really comment. I mean, I've, so. yeah, I've only seen the movies, but we own them, and we've watched them from time to time. You know who really, Dr. Cole. Ooh. He he knows the the movies at least like the, the like the miniseries or whatever. Sure. Um, he he will he will drop an Anne Shirley quote every now and then. Seriously, I don't know who that is. I did the other day. I said we were in the p- depths of despair or whatever, and then I wasn't sure if I got it right. And a f- and a freshman in my intro to Bible corrected me. Oh, so maybe it was one of the same ones. Well, okay. All that to say, we have some thinklings business to tend to. Books and business. Let's talk about some books. All right, so this week I'm just going to introduce a book that I'm not reading, but I'm listening to. I know Charlie's like his face just lit up and I'll explain why. So Dr. Little's doing books and business that is on campus and he's reading uh, Beauty by Roger Scruton, a very short introduction. Uh, I got gifted a copy of that 11 years ago from a friend and started to read it. And then I watched Scruton's on Vimeo. There's a mini series, Why Beauty Matters. It's really good if you've never seen it. It, it, it. I mean, careful. There's it's arts. Anytime you do anything with art, you just got to be on guard for what you're going to see because sometimes they'll show statues without clothes. Um, but it's only a couple spots. But overall, he's making a really interesting argument. This is a long time since I've seen it. But I, I thought, oh, Dr. Little's doing books and business in it. I wanted to read that book. I tried like 11 years ago to read it. I got like a third of the way through it. I understood some of it. And then I think I dabbled in it one other time. So you made me think of that. I've still got my Scribd subscription. I thought I'll listen to it. So I've been listening to that like in the mornings when I make my breakfast or when I'm like driving on errands. And I will say two things about the book. First of all, I'm getting more out of the book. His argument in the first chapter is brilliant. I really like his logic. I like the way he thinks. I didn't catch it at all last time. So I think I've grown as a like thinker. That's been encouraging. But number two, this is not a listening book. He's a really good writer. There's something about um, 
him that reminds me of C.S. Lewis in the way he does prose. You can tell he writes very clearly and with good, good like uh, choice of words. However, because his topic is is very abstract and with a lot of detail, you have to be laser focused, and the words in front of your eyes would actually help you. So I would say that I'd listen to uh, some other novels and I really want something like more brain intensive. This one is an overshoot. I'm going to listen to it and I think I'll glean quite a bit, but that's more I'm viewing it as a listening in prep of going back and reading the book uh, visually. So anyways, I'm only like a third of the way into it, but I thought I would just mention that's what I'm reading. And it was an interesting observation about audiobooks, And I knew Charlie would like that. Sounds like a great listen. It was, it's so far been a good listen, but a hard one when you're doing things like making breakfast. Yeah. I, I got that. Is it beauty? It's just beauty is what it's called, right? He's holding it up right now. I got that in 2018 and took it on vacation with me and thought this will be a great book to read while I'm sitting on the edge of the lake, you know, nice, bright, sunny day. And like, I just couldn't like vacation and scrutin don't mix. Like it's, it's at a level of thinking that I wasn't prepared for. So I, I set it down after like one or two chapters that week and so I'll come back to this and uh, have never thoroughly gone back. But um, we should we should talk about beauty on the podcast sometime. Like we should have an episode about that. But Haven't we talked about beauty on the podcast? Didn't we? Yeah. You, Did we? You've talked about it a couple of times in some of your content bits in Old Testament. This Has is, it ever been the content though? No, we've never had a content on it. I thought he did a Song of Songs one on it, but it would have been Song of Songs, maybe more from a no, philosophical perspective. No, 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 you did. Oh, okay. But I'm saying like there wasn't like a a three of us discuss thing. it. Gotcha. So this book is a good book to read with somebody. We've talked about having a group of friends and reading good books with your friends. Beauty by Scruton is a great book to read with your friends. You may have to have a dictionary nearby or your smartphone, just look up the words and figure out what they mean type of a thing, which is why it doesn't work well as an audiobook. And also he's referring to all kinds of thinkers. So Kant came up a ton in the last chapter. Um, there's a bunch of philosophical writers and artists, the Duke of uh, somewhere. And there's, uh, there's, a, there's historical ideas that he's working with that I think I'm a little more familiar with now that I just had no clue about 11 years ago. So cool. Are you good? Good. Keep moving. All right, so I haven't finished a book, but I am reading through The Intellectual Life by A.G. Sertayon. And uh, I just I like pulling quotes from this and putting them on the beginnings of lectures. And so last week, I think it was Thursday, I put this on. This is one of my favorite quotes, uh, talking about virtue of the intellectual. Would there not be something repellent? in seeing a great discovery made by an unprincipled rascal. The unspoiled instinct of a simple man would be grievously hurt by it. So the idea there is to, to be virtuous, to be diligent and holy, and like your, your life is, is kept properly, you're, you're wise and clean and pure. You would expect someone that is diligent and hardworking and, you know, virtuous to make a great discovery you would not expect a lousy like lazy 
disorganized student to make a great discovery. And what Sertayange points out there is like, you would never expect a rascal to make a great discovery. And even a really simple person understands that principle. Everyone, a really simple person, knows that hard work and diligence will pay off. So I put that up on the, the slide of the first lecture of the year. And it's like, hey, guess what? You guys are students. You're full-time students. You should not be an unprincipled rascal. <laughs> and uh, they always, they love that too. That's you know? so good. And so, uh, but that, that's uh, the chapter that I just started dabbling into today. He talks about, there's the inner workings of, of a human. You see your affections, your virtue, that side, the, the intangible things like who you are, your character. But then he gets to the practical, like your outside life, like not your character, but how do you live? And his first uh, admonition is just simplify your life. If you want to be a good student, simplify your life. And what this makes me think of is Tim always advocates at the beginning of a school year delete the games off your phone. Like you don't need Facebook, you know, put the Xbox away and how those are things that complicate your life. And if you want to be a better student, simplify your life, get rid of the things that you don't necessarily need. And so necessarily need, that's like a too much work because to be necessary, you necessarily, anyway, no, but that, that that was a, a good reminder for me this morning. Simplify your life as a as a student, and it, it'll be helpful to you. My book is Hadassah, One Night with the King uh, by Tommy Tenney. Uh, this is essentially a romance novel. Um, it's a historical fiction. I've heard of the book. Um, I've known about it for a really long time. But this summer, I decided to get it on Audible. So I did not read it. I listened to it as a fiction book. I have no problem with that. Furthermore, I wanted to... Actually, I wish I had a paper book because I would have just skipped fast sections of it because I was really getting... <laughs> I was really getting... I don't know what the word is. Overwhelmed by all of the emotion. But um, anyway, this was uh, definitely out of my genre. And I might do a series sometime, even on the podcast, just about Esther and Hadassah, who she was and, and what happened. Uh, there's all kinds of historical inaccuracies. There's actually a lot of historical accuracy in the book, but then other inaccuracies, particularly when it comes to uh, femininity and the relationship that Hadassah would have had with the king, um, they really kind of impose a, a modern romance on the story. Uh, her husband, Ahasuerus, he's, he's better known as Xerxes historically. He was a jerk and he was a bum the biblical text even presents him that way. He's totally out of touch with reality, and he liked women, and Hadassah was one of them. So I, I'm not even going to put this on the goodness scale. I don't think it was a good book. I don't think it was even very um, profitable. But uh, if I could summarize it, it was anachronistic. It was like reading a modern romance back into a historical setting. Uh, so she, like... It's this whole romance story. They deal with all these ethical issues with her um, being with the king for a night, which is what happens in Esther chapter two. Uh, and then how she loves this man and how there's like real emotion, like she really, really likes him. And I'm just like, the, the, this whole relationship between a, a, a king, okay, with like his harem. I mean, when Esther went before the king, the probability of her dying was actually very high. 
uh, because he had a host of other women. And when it says that he had not been with Esther or called for her for a month, okay, I mean, the text, the, the, the book, Hadassah, kind of presents like, he was busy with the affairs of state and whatever else. I'm like, no, you know, he, he's got a whole harem. I mean, in the biblical text, he was with other women. And whoever had currently fancied, he's taken a fancy to, that's who he was interested in. And so here comes another one of his harem. Uh, his his queen had uh, Esther coming before him at the court. The likelihood of her uh, losing her head was actually pretty high. It was uh, definitely something fearful uh, that she went went through there. So anyway, they tried to drum it up as fearful. I'd say that um, Xerxes painted as this man of valor, but he's not. He's like a bum uh, historically. So that's where there's like historical issue. Uh, and probably the thing I hated the most was that it encourages uh, what the Song of Songs specifically discourages, the adoration and the influence that a woman can have by marrying a rich, powerful man. Um, the Song of Songs actually uh, uh, downplays the the harem girl and that, that power that she's going to have and instead celebrates and exalts the simple life married to a man of virtue and uh, continuing uh, a life of influence in, in, in the community. So that's probably one of the things that I disdained the most. Um, and then I put down for my, on my notes here that the biggest loser was the Lord. <laughs> they did try to like exalt God and say, look, God's sovereignly at, at play. But there's all kinds of, of uh, man's workings and trying to bring about this solution. And I mean, Xerxes can't, Ahasuerus, Ahasuerus can't sleep. And so the, the recorder comes in and he starts narrating the affairs of the kingdom, which is really boring stuff and is going to make him fall asleep. Well, why is it that Ahasuerus can't sleep that night? The text the never says, it's just the oh. Lord. The Lord just says, yeah, he just can't sleep. You're right. The Lord's the answer. Well, in the book, it's like, oh, you know, he's all anxious about what, you know, Esther wants to talk to him about, so he can't sleep. And I'm like, no, it's got nothing to do with it. This guy was a bum, you know, he doesn't really give a rip. Um, so anyway, I really didn't like the book, which I wasn't surprised that I wasn't going to like the book. I kind of wanted to read it anyway and get familiar with it just to kind of get a, a view of of um, what other people are reading when it comes to historical fiction of Christian characters, kind of a thing. Um, and so I did that, and it does not get on the goodness scale. We used to have some, I think it was called the Chronicles of the Kings, and it was historical fiction in the uh, time of Hezekiah. It was really interesting, but there was so much they had to insert creatively Mm -hmm. And I think the tension is you're, you're creatively adding detail to a biblical story. Mm -hmm. And that always made me uncomfortable. They did a really tasteful job. I think they were, the, the author was working with an Old Testament prophet, a very conservative seminary. That sounds trashy. Yeah, there was like a propriety issue as well. I didn't bring that up a whole lot, but um, there was like, did we really need to talk about that? Uh, <laughs> kind of a thing a few times. So. Um, anyway, yeah, Hadassah, that's, that's that one. Uh, thanks for listening. Don't read it. I'm done. <laughs> uh, on this week's episode, I'm going to talk about death and why thinking about death is actually going to be good for your soul and it will make you wise. So listen up and I hope you enjoy the conversation. Let's have a conversation about 
death. Okay, it won't be morbid, and we won't get all gothic on you. But today, let's let's meditate on death. Let's let's talk about Ecclesiastes seven. There's two goals today in our conversation. The first goal is that I want you to think about your funeral one day in a way that will help you as you walk with the Lord. But the second big goal is I want to talk to you about how to learn what the Bible means and what do you do when you find out maybe you missed it. So this summer I was speaking at a camp in Iowa and the first night I talked about Ecclesiastes 7. So let's just go ahead and open up the word of God together and then I'll give you some thoughts and then we'll talk more about the text. Ecclesiastes 7 opens this way. A good name is better than precious ointment and the day of death is better than the day of birth. It is better to go into the house of mourning than to go into the house of feasting. For this is the end of all mankind, and the living will lay it to heart. Sorrow is better than laughter, for by sadness of face the heart may be made glad. The heart of the wise is in the house of mourning, but the heart of the fools is in the house of mirth. It is better for a man to hear the rebuke of the wise than to hear the song of fools, For as the crackling of thorns under a pot, so is the laughter of fools. This also is vanity. I love the book of Ecclesiastes. When I was in high school, it was one of my favorite books. and It was very nourishing. When I got older, I found out that some people don't like Ecclesiastes. They think it's too dark and too, I don't know. What do people say about Ecclesiastes when they don't like it? It's dark. It's hopeless. It's negative, negative, pessimistic, pessimistic. Yeah. And what I depressed. Yeah. It's depressing. And I remember wondering why I liked it so much. Well, here's the short answer. And then I'll zip through the text in high school. I was living for myself. I was living for fun. I was living for all the happiness that I could have, even though I was a Christian and grew up in a godly home. So I remember my friends and I all would plan movie nights on the weekends. We didn't drink or smoke or party or anything like that. We were youth group kids, but every weekend we'd plan a movie night or a game night at a friend's house. And I attended those religiously. I loved them. And I remember after a time just feeling empty inside and kind of depressed, not doing great spiritually. It was my senior year. I didn't understand it at the time, but I was walking in sin. I was walking in the flesh. I wasn't living for the Lord, even though I was at church and I was you know, going to youth group and all that. And so one day I opened up Ecclesiastes and I started to read and I almost couldn't put it down. I couldn't get enough of it and I couldn't figure out why. I think what what part of the, the reason it was so helpful for me is Solomon is, has done what I was trying to do, but he had gone the whole way. He was testing his heart with gladness and wine and women and gardens and all that. And he had realized that none of those things bring meaning to life. That's not the point of life. And I think as a teenager who essentially was living to make myself happy and comfortable, and then I got those things and it didn't fill me up, I think Solomon was necessary truth to to help me. But I wasn't really understanding it as clearly, but it was enough to say, man, this world is, you know, this is kind of empty and I, I do need to trust the Lord. And it was very, I needed to grow more, but it was really helpful. So I'm going to go very quickly through this passage through all seven or all six verses. A good name is better than precious ointment. This is verse one and the day of death better than the day of birth. When I study that out to speak at camp, clearly the good name is related to your reputation. It's not like your actual sound of your name. 
And when I looked at precious ointment, I didn't really understand what it was. I looked in a couple of commentaries and there were different ideas, but I think the one I liked the most was that it's like a cologne. And so when I thought, well, what is a cologne? It's something you put on to make yourself smell better because everyone back then stunk. So my thought was, oh, that's like an external way to improve your image or your, like your appearance would be like cosmetics or clothing. So that's how I present it to the teens. The second line of the colon or the second line of the proverb here in Ecclesiastes is, and the day of death better than the day of birth. The way I took that is that if ointment means something external and name, it means reputation, that's something internal then the day you die, you want the good name because that means you have a good reputation. Even if on your day of your birth, you're born in like poor circumstances. So perhaps you've, you've heard of like someone born with a silver spoon in their mouth or their hand or whatever. They, they're born in a rich family. They go to nice schools. They have all the opportunities. And then you have like the lower class person born in a broken home, born into foster care, you know, whatever you want to say, anything at all. But then that, how you start does not matter as much as how you end. And so that's how I took this verse. And so I said, Hey teens, it doesn't matter if you're born in a good family or a bad family. We've all seen Hollywood actors who have all the opportunities of life. And then they die like 45 addicted to meth. And then you all know people who have had a bad like childhood, but they overcame it, trusted the Lord and lived a godly life. So my, my summary of this verse was it's more important how you end than how you begin. And so I told the teens, right now, maybe you haven't even begun your walk with God. It doesn't matter if it's been this long. It doesn't matter if you haven't done well at this point. Turn, repent, and start following the, God, following the Lord because how you end your life is going to be more important. Now, we went into verses 2 through 4 and tied them together. And in that section, I said, the main point he's making here is that everybody gets a funeral, but not everyone gets a party. So in verses 2 and 4, he contrasts going to a funeral, which would be the house of mourning, and then going to a feast, which would be like a party. And he says it's better in verse two to do the funeral than the party because everyone's going to go to a funeral and it's going to be their own one day. And those who are alive will take it to heart. That means like they'll think about it, they'll ponder it. And then in verse four, he goes so far as to say that the wise is, that the heart of the wise person is actually at the funeral, but the heart of the fool is at the the kegger. And so what do you want your mind to be focused on? You should be thinking about death. Now in our culture today, we almost try to avoid it at all costs. We trivialize death either by not thinking about it. It's like, this is the person who hates hospitals, who never goes to funerals, who doesn't want to talk about that stuff. Or we trivialize it the way I did. We play video games where death is just this entertainment and we have action movies where people die all the time and there's no reflective thought given on this death. We just kind of ha ha and then move on. And so I, I, I explained to them that you should actually be thinking about death. I know that's uncomfortable, but wouldn't you want to prepare for what's coming in your future rather than just go to a party and distract yourself and escape from it? And then the last section of the message was five and six, where it says, it's better for a man to hear the rebuke of a wise person than to hear the song of the fools for as crackling of thorns under a pot. So is the laughter of fools. This also is vanity. The big idea here is that the wise person is serious about life. And so you should think seriously about your life. The wise person wants to be rebuked. When you get corrected by someone, how do you respond? 
if you're wise, if you're following wisdom, even though it's hard and even though your flesh wants to, to, to get angry, you should eagerly ask for more. You should listen attentively. You should weigh out, is there something to this rebuke? And you should be humble and open to the fact that maybe you don't see something that's wrong in your life. The fool, however, is in, uh, it says, um, the fool sings this song. It's, you know, the, the, the rebuke of the wise or the song of the fools. So think of like the song of the fools. I guess I don't know if I handle this exactly right, but I'm thinking of like, you know, typical pop music that's on the radio that's just talking about nonsense or stuff that's not serious. And then if you compare that with verse six, where it says that thorns crackle under a pot to me, and maybe I'm wrong, I think that's like the fire under the pot that's crackling to warm the water. It's a constant crackle, 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 crackle. And so then what's the fool always doing? They're always constantly looking for laughter and a good time. So the wise person is serious about life. The fool isn't. Now, I, I was helped by this message. It was helping me to think more about my own eternity and my own death and how seriously do I take life today? And I hope that you too would take it seriously. Do you think about death? Do you avoid the subject? Does it make you uncomfortable? Well, it should. Death is unnatural. God did not design you to die. That is the result of sin. But because we are sinners, it's not enough to simply cover our eyes and not look at it. Um, a philosopher once said, death stares at all men. All a man can do is, or no, a death smiles at all men. All a man can do is smile right back. Maximus Decimus Meridius. Not exactly the normal philosopher. But my point here is that you need to look at death. And if you haven't considered your death, uh, I'm not trying to be morbid or morose, but you should think about that. Are you living in a way where when you die, you will look back and say, I'm, I, I'm pleased with my character. I'm pleased that I tried to follow the Lord. I'm pleased that I served him. Or when you die, will you look back with regret? Don't look back with regret. And one of the ways to do that is to consider death regularly. Now, I shared this with Thinkling Little and Thinkling Carter uh, on a break, and Tim was very helpful in helping me to understand that I, I, I missed the metaphor in verse one. So I'm going to turn this over to Dr. Little now, and, li and, and would you help us to better understand that? And listener, he's like getting all sheepish, but I don't mind that I was wrong, and that's just happened. So I just want him to walk us through the meaning, and then I'll have a couple more thoughts for you. All your right, go application, ahead, take it away. Your application is really good, and it's something that the listener really needs to take to heart and to think through um, what is going to happen after you die. And if your relationship with the Lord is not what it needs to be, or if you have no relationship with God, you need to place your faith in him and to trust in him. So there's an excellent application. And um, I would encourage you to really, as we get into some grammar stuff here, really take that to heart. Uh, so in, in Ecclesiastes 7.1, a good name is better than precious ointment and the day of death and the day of one's birth. You have uh, metaphors. And metaphors are tricky because what is the point of comparison? So with the precious ointment, um, Thinkling Stearns said that it, it applied, it was like cologne and it was something external, that, your image, external, your mm -hmm. image. Yep. Okay. And that's true. That's what ointment, cologne, and cologne would be a good translation. That is the idea, uh, this uh, precious ointment. Um, and that it produces a good smell. And so that's all correct. The point is the, the point of conversation now is what is the point of comparison? Is it external image or is it something else? 
And what we discussed was that it's actually probably something else. It's probably that it's fragile. So in Ecclesiastes chapter 10 and verse 1, it states, Dead flies putrefy the perfumer's ointment. And the point of Ecclesiastes 10.1 is that the dead fly is something little and small, and it destroys something that's beautiful and good. Uh, and the dead fly is a metaphor for uh, a little bit of folly. Uh, this is what the Ecclesiastes 10.1 continues, and it gets to that point. It says, uh, it causes it to give off a foul odor. So does a little folly to one respected for wisdom and honor. So a person that has wisdom and honor smells really good. A little bit of folly, a dead fly, destroys the whole thing. So that's the point of Ecclesiastes 10.1. But again, our point here isn't to analyze Ecclesiastes 10.1. It's to try to understand the metaphor of the ointment. The point of the ointment in Ecclesiastes 10.1 is not the external image, but the the um, f- fragility, it's fragile, and it's easily destroyed. So going back to Ecclesiastes 7.1, a good name is better than precious ointment. Precious ointment is something that's fragile. Continuing the line, and the day of death and the day of one's birth. The day of one's birth is again something fragile, because who is this person when they're born? And who are they? Well, they we, don't even know. We don't know. <laughs> they were just born. We have no idea what kind of a, a name does a person that is just born have, okay? They have no name. They haven't lived yet. So that's the point of comparison is this person he, that is just born, they have no reputation yet, as opposed to the day of death. And a good name is better than precious ointment, just like the day of death than the day of one's birth. What kind of a reputation does a person have on the day of their death? Well, it's done because they're dead. And whether it's a good name or a bad name, it's done. And hopefully it's a good name and they finished their race and they finished it well. And how fragile is their reputation on the day of their death if they lived a good life? It's done. It's set in stone. I mean... Hopefully, I mean, unless mm-hmm. somebody digs up some dirt on them or whatever. <laughs> but even then, that was the reputation. That was. was. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yep. Was exactly. Their reputation wasn't good. Yep. And that's what, after the day of death, it revealed. Mm-hmm. Uh, so the point of comparison here is more of the precious ointment. The metaphor is focusing on something that's fragile than something that's focusing on the externals, I believe. So that's really helpful. And so there's a couple of directions I want to go with this for you, listener. So I literally preached this to 500 teens and I was wrong. What do I do now? Um, well, I admit that I was wrong. Oh, I missed it. I made a mistake and I'm thankful though about God's grace. So my application was correct. I'm very thankful for that. God, God was very kind to me to allow me to get the right application. And have I probably made mistakes before when I've taught the word of God? Yes. So It says in James that we who teach will be held to a higher account. Now I could say, well, I tried hard and well, I meant, I meant well and all that. Um, But really this is a good thing for me. It needs, I need to humble myself and admit, oh, I missed it. I messed it up. But do you know what I should not, absolutely should not do? And as the Bible study teacher, this is near and dear to my heart. I should not be afraid to study God's word because I'm afraid I might get something wrong. Right. If I take this, if I have this experience and I go, oh man, I messed up and I live in the fear of doing it again, 
and I don't get in God's word and feed and try to grow and learn from this, then I, I, I really haven't learned humility and I haven't learned to serve God. I'm, I'm too afraid of my reputation. I'm too afraid of making a mistake. I'm too afraid of what other people will think. So I, I would just urge you, if you've studied the Bible before, and then maybe later you learned, oh, you had it wrong. Don't let that be a reason you give yourself to not pick up your Bible and study it. Just grow, grow. Like when we grow, we are not good at things. Charlie was saying off air about riding a bike earlier and how when you ride a bike, when you learn, you fall down a lot. The first time your kid falls down, you don't like stop riding the bike. You keep mm -hmm. trying. So listener, if you've tried to study God's word and it hasn't made sense, or you've tried to grow and you don't feel like you've made any strides, don't give up. Humble yourself. Thank the Lord when you are, you're shown where you're wrong and then keep persisting. Now, I'd like to ask Doc, uh, Dr. Little about an application that now that I understand the passage of this would be fair. So it sounds like Solomon is saying at the beginning of a thing, it's fragile. You don't know how it's going to end. But the end of the thing, you see how you've actually lived your life. What if you have a person who says, you know, I've not been doing the right thing, so I'm going to do this. Could I say, well, that's good, but that's fragile because I don't know if you're actually going to do it. And so until you've actually overcome or persisted or lived the right way, could you say that that applies to this? Like a lot of times if you work with someone who struggling with something, they have a reasons they're going to do this or that, or they have big plans. Mm -hmm. But if they never come to fruition, then could you say that sort of applies in this way? Or do you think that's like an off application? Yeah. I mean, that's kind of like Ecclesiastes five. Somebody has big dreams and saying, God, I'm going to do this. God, I'm going to do that. And then when it comes down to it, they don't. Well, the point of comparison there too, in this passage, it's the laughter of fools, mm -hmm. which is like what? Frivolity. Well, no, the, the metaphor that it's compared to is like what? Oh, the crackling of fire under a pot. Yeah. And the constant crackle. And in Ecclesiastes 5, it's the, the multiplication of the words of the fool. Yeah. Yep. And so there's, there's a common thread there of okay. fools talk a lot. They have a lot of excuses. their solutions to yep. things. Yeah. They're going to dream yeah. big. It's almost like wisdom is really simple. Yeah. It's like fearing God. <laughs> <Yep>. <laughs> <laughs> so I think this is what I would say then. If you find yourself dealing with something, uh, you probably have a way of looking at your life where mm -hmm. you see all of your intentions to do the right thing. And that don't dismiss those. But in the final analysis, you need to also say, what have I been doing? Like, how have I been living? That's also worth considering here. Solomon would probably put more, more uh, weight on how you've actually been living your life. So if you're kind of an excuse maker, you may not think you are. You might think, well, I was going to, but I didn't. And now I'm going to do this. And, I'm, and it's good to have a refresh. It's good to have a restart. It's good to say, I'm going to do these things. But at the end of the day, where you see your growth is actually what you've done. So I want to be careful. I don't want to like only judge my life by my works. And I know God works over time and sanctification is progressive. Um, but I don't know. Could we say talk is cheap? Is that like an okay application tied to this? What would you say? I think it's more Ecclesiastes 5. Okay, talk so is cheap. The dreams, 
you need to actually fulfill and complete what you okay. say you're going to do. And that's your reputation. And that's where it would correspond here. Okay. The good name, one component of that is that, hey, you know what? When I say what I'm going to do, guess what? I do it. Mm-hmm. Even if it hurts me, even if yep. I had to sacrifice something else that I really wanted, I fulfilled my vows. Mm-hmm. I showed up to work on time. Yeah. I did all my homework mm-hmm. by the due date. Mm-hmm. I was disciplined and went to bed. So then I was healthy to then mm-hmm. be able to accomplish the tasks that I said that I would do. Mm-hmm. That's, that's where my mind is going. So, so that's your entire reputation. Uh, so those that would also then, I mean, this is just the kind of stuff that's flowing around mm-hmm. and Charlie knows Ecclesiastes five better than I do, but that also includes not committing to something Yes. That you won't be able to yep. fulfill. Mm-hmm. Uh, so judging, you know what, I need to do this, 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 this. You know what, I don't have the horsepower, the knowledge, the skill set, whatever, to accomplish all of those things. So guess what I'm going to do? Say no, say no, mm-hmm. say no. And then fulfill my vows. That's your reputation. That's who you are. And at the end of your life, what somebody would be able to say is he was faithful. Mm. Well, that's what I got. I think that it would be good for you if you're always entertaining yourself, you're always having fun, you're always lighthearted, life is just a big fun time. Think about death. Mm-hmm. Not to be dark and gloomy on purpose, but mm-hmm. life is serious. You're going to die one day, you're going to be held to account for how you're living. Mm-hmm. You're going to die one day and you're going to look back with sober minded, mm-hmm. sanctified soul. Do you want to look back on a party life, having fun, entertaining yourself? Or do you want to look back and see a faithful testimony? Thank you for listening to this episode of the Thinklings podcast. We would love to hear from you. If you have any feedback, suggestions, or potential topics that you'd like us to discuss, you can contact us through our email, thinklingspodcast at gmail.com. Remember, don't let this conversation end with this podcast. Read good books, talk about them with your friends, and always continue to cultivate your mind. See you next time on the Thinklings Podcast.